You've probably heard me talk about my dog, Jackson. He's my baby boy. And as he's gotten older, he's gotten really finicky about eating. He used to get so excited about food, he'd literally spin. Well, not anymore. In fact, I often have to spoon feed him to get him to eat. Well, no more. Not since we started feeding him fresh food made with whole ingredients, backed by veterinary science. It's Nom Nom. Now, I actually tried making food for him myself. I'd cook up big batches of chicken or beef with vegetables and rice or potatoes. But without knowing what I was doing, he wasn't getting the vitamins and minerals he needed and certainly not in the correct balance. That's all changed now with Nom Nom. Go to trynom.com, T-R-Y-N-O-M.com slash Nicole. They'll ask you some questions about your pup and tailor a specific amount of individually packaged Nom Nom meals and send them to you. By using my special URL, trynom.com slash Nicole, you'll get 50% off of your first order, plus free shipping, and it's a great way to help support this show too. Again, that's trynom.com slash Nicole. plus Nom Nom comes with a money-back guarantee. If your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom will refund your first order. No fillers, no nonsense, just Nom Nom. The following program contains graphic material, including offensive language. Your discretion is advised. Wait a minute. Do you still think politics is boring? Well, not when you can say fun words like cacus. Yes, it's fun words like cacus and more. With the intellectual, intersexual, and intersectional, Nicole Sandler on NicoleSandler.com. Give him a second try to be a better president It ended badly last time with the riot and the discontent America's degenerating, voters losing heart It seems they're facing two protagonists aging pretty fast And I know it's ages to lament the old We all might hide things all together But we've seen the blinks and muddled things Pause in Mitch McConnell's speech, you know, some kind of seizure or attack. So if by the time the race closes and the primaries come to town, we'll hope they've withdrawn our
the Marsh family. Uh, they're so good, even though I've got I've got kind of mixed emotions about that one. I can't say they're wrong, right? Um, yeah, the, uh, the this one from the uh, from the Marsh families. It's a, a take on the uh, the band Fun and the song um, when we were young, I think, or we were young. Anyway, th- this this parody that they put together is I think they call it we're not young and uh, i get it uh, they're not <laughs> but i i applaud the marsh family for at least putting putting um donald trump in there because anybody who's paying any attention to the mainstream corporate media it, it, they don't include donald trump in the equation and at least they did look biden you know has always always been a kind of a fumfer of a speech giver. He's never been a good public speaker. He always uh, comes across as befuddled and a little confused. Um, He was a walking gaff machine before he was elected vice president. And that was how many years ago? That's him. It honestly... I think it's got nothing to do with his age. It's just Joe Biden. And he didn't help matters much. Look, he did this whirlwind trip over to um, uh, to the G20. I think he was in India, and then he went to Vietnam. And, yeah, he came across as sort of tired and confused. And it doesn't help when he makes jokes about, I think I'm just going to go to sleep now. Because they jumped on him for it and again i i i shake my head not because i think he's old or infirm or befuddled because that's just joe you could have put him there 20 years ago he would have done the same thing made the same stupid joke stumbled over his words a few times appeared to be lost that's joe biden it's not because he's old now I guess Fox or one of the news, the so-called news channels, actually did what I've been saying they need to do and said, you know, hold on a second. Uh, Joe Biden may be old, but Donald Trump is only three years younger than him. Right. Um, And apparently Trump went ballistic. Where did this come from? Why are they asking me? I challenge everyone to an acuity test. Well, I told you, let them do it. Not that Biden would lower himself to Trump's level, but the, um, (laughs) you know, again, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I repeat myself occasionally in case you hadn't noticed. Uh, On his very worst day, I would pit Joe Biden both mentally and physically against Donald Trump on his best day. Um, yeah, and now we're taking exception to everything. Hernan in the chat room says, Nicole, I didn't like the reporter in Vietnam that said, let, re- let me remind you it's evening here. Well, you know what? She was just going along with the joke that he made. And I, uh, you know what? I didn't pull that clip, but I can get it for you pretty quickly so you could see what we're talking about. I purposely didn't pull the clips from um, Vietnam, but since I started with that song, and look, I don't fault the Marsh family. They're not here. What they're doing, again, they're, they're in the UK. And they are reporting on what, um, you know, the media is telling them. And for some reason, the media is all about, quote, there's my air quotes, Joe Biden is old and infirm and he's losing it. Well, no, not really. This is how he's always been you could go back to video of joe biden from 30 years ago when he was in the senate and it was the same stuff he was always a walking gaff machine that was the knock on him a human gaff machine and uh, i'm there there's so much stuff here let me see if i can't um Nope, I'm going back too far now. All right, I don't, I don't have it. And you know what, I'm not even going to play it. You've heard enough, and everybody else is all over it. Here's my take. I don't fault the Marsh family. 
I think it was a sweet song and I, they meant well, but they're going by what they're hearing in the media. And it's the media who's who's pushing this narrative rather than if you want to you want to call Biden out on his age, go for it. But you can't you can't not include Trump in the same breath. You know what I'm saying? OK, the big story today, and it is a big story today, um, comes from Heidi Prisbala at Politico. I don't know if you remember Heidi Prisbala. I don't I, I screw up her name. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm tired and I'm, I'm slap happy and uh, bear with me because I'm in a pissy mood, too. Have you ever tried packing a house and moving while working and preparing three work three weeks worth of shows to play while you're um trying to pack and move and do a live show for the last week, which you should have not done in the first place. And, oh, you know, struggling to make ends meet along the way. It's not a good place to be. So that's where I am right now. So again, I apologize if I get overly pissy today because I am, that's where I'm at. Um, But this news, I, I get it, woke up yesterday morning. I had an email from Lisa Graves that said, um, you know, thanks for having me on the show again. By the way, check out this story. Heidi Prisbala is now working for um, Politico, and she broke this story uh, yesterday. The headline reads, what Jimmy Thomas, what Ginny Thomas and Leonard Leo wrought, how a justice's wife and a key activist started a movement. And then the subtitle is, thanks to the Supreme Court's Citizens United ruling, a trove of so-called dark money was about to be unleashed. Two activists prepared to seize the moment. And this is about Ginny Thomas, the wife of Clarence Thomas, who we already know is a grifter, who we already know has been um, snoring, I think that's the word, off of his rich, wealthy friends, who, by the way, weren't friends at all before he became a Supreme Court justice. Then all of a sudden, he got all these very wealthy friends. Isn't it interesting how that happens? Yeah. That, that invite him on, you know, their private jets and mega yachts around the world for trips. Uh, while he tells the press, I prefer the RV in the Walmart parking lot. And I'm not making that up. He really said that. My God. My God. Anyway. So, you know, Lisa Graves was on the show Friday, and then this story comes out yesterday, and Lisa sent it to me, and I'm thinking, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I talk to myself all the time, like, yeah, I, 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 I really want to invite Lisa to come back on tomorrow, but she was just on, this is yesterday, me talking to myself, she was just on on Friday, and I, because I don't want to be greedy here, um, uh, you know, and then I'm cooking dinner and I turn on the TV and it's uh, on MSNBC and it's, what's her name? Um, um, Alicia Menendez's show. And at the minute I turn the TV on, I look up and it's Lisa Graves. Yes. Yeah, so Lisa Graves was on with Alicia Menendez and um, she, of course she had her on to talk about this story. I was so, I was I'm so proud. Um, so here, I'm going to share with you, if I can figure out how to do this, um, uh, th- that segment. Now, I may have to stop in the middle of it because uh, just to weigh in. And it's a, it's a lengthy segment, but it's how I get Lisa back on the show today to explain what's going on. So let's just uh, let's go with it. Here's Alicia Menendez. New reporting from Politico's Heidi Presbola dives into the months before the Supreme Court ruled on Citizens United in 2010. The ruling, as you know, changed American politics overnight, unleashing unlimited dark money into our political system. Justice Thomas, a deciding vote in the five to four ruling. According to Politico, before the ruling, Ginny Thomas hit the ground running, preparing for the new reality of big money politics. In those months before the landmark decision, Thomas and her allies created an organization to capture political Mm. momentum to reshape our federal courts. Politico describes this conservative movement as a, quote, billion dollar force that has helped remake the judiciary, 
on overturning long-standing legal precedents, precedents on abortion, affirmative action, and many other issues. Wow. It funded legal scholars to devise theories to challenge liberal precedents, helped to elect state attorneys general willing to apply those theories, and launched lavish campaigns for conservative judicial nominees who would cite those theories in their rulings from the bench. Now, we should note... Thomas did not respond to Politico's questions about the story. No. Joining me now, Lisa Graves, former Deputy Yay. Assistant Attorney General during the Clinton and George W. Bush administrations. Lisa, thank you so much for being with us. I, I think a lot of our audience has been following this story for a month. The latest piece, as it relates to Citizens United, help us understand it in the broader context of the conflicts of interest. Thank you so much for having me on. This new investigative report by Politico is extraordinarily important. It shines new light on that decision, which, as you point out, was a five to four decision. Five if Clarence four. Thomas had not yep. participated in that decision, the McCain-Feingold uh, Bipartisan Campaign Reform Act would still be standing, would be prohibiting this uh, injection of millions and millions of dollars by these billionaires. And yet there's no doubt in my mind that Clarence Thomas knew that his wife was setting up this uh, nonprofit organization yep. that his benefactor, uh, Harlan Crow, was seeding it, staking it with $500,000 to help pay her salary. And he still sat on that case, still ruled on it, cast what may have been the deciding vote to strike down the McCain-Feingold law, and even had the audacity to assert that future disclosure of the funders of such groups would be unconstitutional. To me, this is a clear ethical violation. It's actually the embodiment of corruption. Wow. There is a push, as you well know, on Capitol Hill to set up a code of conduct for Supreme Court justices. Reform could take many different forms. I wonder how you believe it would then hold our justices accountable. Well, right now, every other judge in the, in the country and all the other federal judges are bound by the code of conduct for U.S. judges. Canon two of that code of conduct bars judges from engaging in anything that would create an impropriety or the appearance of impropriety, particularly influ influenced by outside interests like Harlan Crow paying his wife, feathering their nest with his funding, and sitting on a case to strike down the laws and rules that would have regulated that activity. To me, um, the reforms that need to happen need to be spearheaded by Congress. I certainly am joining the call for Senator Dick Durbin uh, and Senator Ron Wyden to deepen and intensify their investigation. And you'll use all tools at their disposal to get to the bottom of this, including subpoenas. And I also think the IRS needs to take a very close look at the Judicial Education Project 85 Fund, the so-called Honest Elections Project that Leo has Funded and infused with millions and millions of dollars of dark money dollars. Let's, I, I'm going to break in here for one second, just because there there was more. Do you remember back when this happened? Back when the Supreme Court handed down their decision on Citizens United, which basically said money is speech, which is bullshit. Of course it is. Uh, we know that. But and, and it was the whole with Mitt Romney, corporations are people, my friend. Bullshit. But the Supreme Court said, yeah, they are, which is bullshit. It is bullshit. But anyway, so the day it was a double whammy, the day that they handed down this fucked up Supreme Court decision on Citizens United. It was January 20, 21st, 2010. Let me say that again. January 21st, 2010. We knew this decision was coming. We had a feeling what it was going to be. And it was what I did. So I'm um, and, and at that time, I had been hosting a nightly show on Air America Radio is on from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern. And because I was on so late, I pre-recorded a you know a number of interviews because it was hard to get people on the phone at midnight. And I had then Congressman Alan Grayson lined up as a guest, and he was going to call me at five o'clock to record the interview to air that night at eleven. Well, when he had called, I had just gotten off the phone with um the program director of Air America Radio, who confirmed what a listener, and it was listener Betsy, who told me this on Facebook. She's like, have you checked the Air America page today? And I'm like, what? no, what's up? She said, they shut down. Like, they did what? And sure enough, moments later, I got the call. The day that, that, that the Supreme Court said, money equals speech, our progressive free speech was killed. 
Air America Radio went dark on January 21st, 2010, the same day these crooks on the Supreme Court ruled uh, in favor of Citizens United. It's stunning. It's in de- that is a day that in my life lives in infamy. Anyway, back to talk them. about dark money and the impact of Citizens United. We are now 13 years into this experiment of endless money in politics. How is that working out for us? I think it's been a disaster for the voice of the American people. You think? The fact is, is that these billionaires are now not using predominantly the campaign finance system where there's a limit on how much a particular person can give. Um, huge limits. That's actually over $120,000 a year cumulatively to parties, PACs, and um, uh, candidates under the old rules. Um, but now they can give secretly millions and millions of dollars to these uh, C4 organizations, like the one that Jenny Thomas had started uh, early on, right as Citizens United was being decided. And what that has done is it's really distorted um, what we're seeing in politics. We've seen these billionaires throw their voices through groups like Leonard Leo's operations to really distort not just um, our elections, but also our courts and the decisions of this Supreme Court, including uh, what we've seen with these um, extremist judges, in my view, being installed on the Supreme Court, where Leo has helped capture the court. And what we've got are decisions that are destroying our freedoms, like the Dobbs decision and more. You know, it strikes me, Lisa, that there is both the potential damage that this has done when you think about specific rulings themselves. But then there's also just faith in the court at a time when there is a lack of faith in institutions writ large. Wonder why. And that piece of the damage, I do not know how you quantify it. And I do not know beyond the reforms that we've already talked about coming out of Congress, how you undo it, how you rebuild trust and faith in these institutions. Well, I think there have to be consequences to people who behave in the way that Clarence Thomas did in sitting on that case, despite the fact that his wife was uh, raising money to exploit it um, from the guy who we now know, the billionaire who we now know, has been lavishing them with trips um, and other extraordinary gifts like tuition for his nephew, uh, the purchase of his mother's house and more. But it's not just Clarence Thomas. It's also John Roberts. John Roberts has failed to act. And he's also stood in the way of Congress acting. And he, along with his other uh, members of the court, have asserted, in essence, that Congress has no power. Congress has power and needs to act on that power to regulate the court and try to restore integrity to this court. This court is under a serious dark cloud, and the American people know it. They get it. They understand what corruption is. And this is corrupt. And that's why the Supreme Court's opinion polling is in the sewer. And rightly so, because uh, they are not following the rules of conduct for every other judge in the country, notwithstanding John Roberts' letter to the Judiciary Committee earlier this year. Uh, There is so that Lisa Graves on um, American Voices, I think her show is called, uh, with Alicia Menendez on MSNBC last night. Uh, What a nice surprise that was. And since I didn't see any of the usual suspects um, uh, clip the the clip, I pulled it, uh, thanks to listener John, who found it on some obscure news site. Um, See, it's teamwork around here. Um, Also, to whoever in the chat room mentioned that today happens to be the 22nd anniversary is a weird word, but it was 22 years ago today that uh, those planes hit. The World Trade Center, the Pentagon, the field in Pennsylvania, uh, 9-11. And uh, boy, I remember it so clearly. We all, I mean, that's one of those moments that we all, I remember, of course, the day Citizens United came down uh, and the day that Air America Radio was killed, decapitated, as it were. And, and today we remember 9-11. It's a day none of us will ever forget. I remember it because I was planning, I had decided I was leaving Los Angeles. Talk about a weird thing. So it was 9-11, September 11th, 2001. It was the day I was supposed to have a realtor's open house to sell my house in Culver City that I wish I never sold. (laughs) Story for another day, woulda, coulda, shoulda. Uh, And um, my realtor called and woke me. It was like nine o'clock. And um, he said, hell of a day for an open house. I said, what's the matter? Is it raining? He said, oh, no. Turn on the TV. We're at war. (laughs) Turn on the TV. Saw the two smoldering towers and they soon after came down. Um, And everything changed. Yeah. So uh, 22 years goes by like that.
Yeah. Um, yeah. So he, uh, here we are. Um, Lisa Graves, as always, just so brilliant. And I'm so glad they called on her um, because she should be all over these shows. And, and, and I do think somebody at MSNBC listens here because they tend to do things, have on people we have on. Anyway, maybe not. Maybe just great minds think alike. Although, uh, never mind. Told you I'm pissy. Um, I do other things. What else am I pissy about today? Nancy Pelosi? Really, Nancy? She's running for re-election? But but, in any case, uh, I feel very exhilarated by the encouragement I had uh, to continue representing my great city of San Francisco. You have the White House behind you. I have homes in San Francisco behind oh. me, and that is oh, here, my, my strength. And the um, uh, needs that our, our city has right now really call for me to stay another term. Really? I um, Why? had the privilege of representing San Francisco for a long time, I've had, and they have given me the latitude to serve as speaker, as leader, They've given you that latitude. Whip as well. Mm. Uh, Visit 87 countries, serve 30 years on the Intelligence Committee, all of those things. But at the same time, being central central to my service was representing my district. Uh, In gratitude to them for that, I have agreed to stay on. You've agreed to. She's she's agreed. Hold on. No, 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 no. no. Wait. She's agreed to stay on for another term. Nancy, in case no one's told you, that's not how it works. So you're 83 years old. People are bitching that Joe Biden's 81 and he's running for another four-year term. You're 83 years old. You don't get to, you don't get to decide you're staying on. I guess that's up to the people. Um, and I guess if she decides that she wants to stay on, she will because yeah, it's, it's San Francisco. It's very blue uh, district that she's in in the very blue state of California. When, when do people decide it's time to go home? You know, we don't have mandatory retirement age here, but I just, I, yeah, let me get her off the, the, the screen because I'm, I'm getting pissed. Um, you know, on the one hand, I bemoan the fact that at 63 years old, I can't get a job. Seriously, I don't apply for many of them. The only time I ever apply for a job is if I'm, super qualified for it and i'll say nine times out of ten and maybe there's ten jobs i've applied for in the last year and a half maybe nine times out of ten i don't even get the decency of a response of a thanks but no thanks and i know it's because of my age they look at the resume and i'm not one of those people who'll do away with the dates you know what i earned Every line on that resume, I've earned every wrinkle on this face, and I've got a few now. And I think it makes me more valuable as a potential employee, but no, they, so I have to do it myself. That's how it works. Um, okay, now I, I see my guest has arrived, and I'm, I, you know, you know that I'm getting ready to leave. Uh, this, is, this is, we're in the home stretch now. The, uh, the pod container will be delivered on Friday. And then next Monday or Tuesday, we're out of here. Um, and so, you know my feelings about Florida. I'm, I'm not, I grew up down here. My family moved here when I was 11 years old from New York. Uh, went through middle school and high school here. I went to college at the University of South Florida. Then I went back to New York because, you know, if you can make it there. Um, then I went out to L.A., did my thing. Um, it went to Taos, New Mexico for a minute, um, and wound up back here. Well, then I went up to Boston area and then I came back here where I've been for the last, uh, 15 or so years. Um, when I left Boston, I swore I was done with radio because I, I, I worked for a crazy owner and it was either the independent crazy owner or the big corporation. Either way, radio was just not doing it. So I decided to do this little video production thing. But, you know, I've been in radio since college. This is, this is what I know. This is what I know how to do. And so Air America had started. I'm listening. And I was listening to Morning Sedition with Mark Marin. It was a great show. And then Air America and all their brilliance killed it. And I'm like, okay, so what are they going to do here in Miami? 
And I heard that they were bringing on Jim DeFeedy to host the morning show. Now, he had been doing weekends on the station. Then the, the a progressive talk station in South Florida, 940 wins, which is now sports, of course. Um, and and I'm, uh, so I, I called the program director. I sent him an email. I said, Jim is great, but you really need somebody who is a radio pro to work with him. Long story short, I pitched myself to be his producer, got to meet Jim, and thankfully, he thought, yeah, I think we can work together. This, this could be okay. And um, I went on to produce the Jim DeFeedy Morning Show at 940 Wins. And, uh, and Jim, I just wanted to thank you before I left, because honestly, if not for you bringing me into that job, I probably wouldn't be doing this today. So now on second thought, maybe I shouldn't be thanking you. Yeah. Don't blame me. It, it, just sounds like, it sounds like that scene in Godfather 3 where just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. I don't, I, I'm not trying to be that person. But uh, I think, you know, your many listeners and viewers, uh, I'm sure, are happy. But I'm not sure you should put that on me or that be thanking me. Yeah, no, now that I think about it. No, but you did open this huge door for me. And, and I so appreciate it. I mean, because my background, I had started in talk radio out of college. I worked at a news talk station. And then when I went up to New York after college, I worked at a big talk station, WMCA. And I produced Bob Grant, who was like Rush Limbaugh before Rush Limbaugh. I mean, he was one of the original right-wing crazies. Um and then I went on to music radio and produced a bunch of uh, shows and did my own, was a music director and a program director and all that. But I hadn't been in talk radio since I left New York in 87. And so you brought me back in and, and turned me into the, you know, the raving liberal that I am now. Well, okay. Well, you know, <laughs> and uh, I'm sorry to see you go, but uh, happy that you're getting a new start in uh, Arizona where uh, it's a dry heat, but uh, but maybe a sane heat. Well, um, like so I say, they didn't elect the fascists. Well, you know, it's uh, you know, Arizona is an interesting state. Uh, New Mexico would have been nice. I, I, I've, I've been, been New Mexico. I've, I've lived in Taos. I lived in yes. Taos for four months. The mountain didn't like me. But but Jim, I, one th- I wanted to you know spotlight you because you are a, you're a legend here in South Florida. You cover. South Florida politics like no one else. And you know what, well, for Miami politics, with the Proud Boys leaders being um, now convicted, what are the Miami-Dade Republican Party members going to do? Weren't they the leaders of Miami-Dade Republican Party now? Uh, no, there were, there were a couple of Proud Boys who were on the, on the, uh, uh, the what do they call it? Executive the, committee. Uh, the executive committee, that's it. And we saw some Proud Boys at the Miami-Dade School Board meeting just last week as well. So, you know, they're they're never quite out of the picture. But Enrique Tarrio, the former head of the Proud Boys, uh, is was sentenced to 22 years in prison. Uh, you know, I've I've spoken to and met Tarrio on a number of occasions, uh, and it's he's an interesting sort of character and. Uh, but we'll see what 22 years in prison does. He got the harshest sentence as, of anyone convicted as part of the January 6th case so far. Uh, but yeah, no, no, look, the, those threads are all still here in Florida, very prominent, and uh, we'll continue to cover them. And you do. So these days, Jim, and you've been since 2006, you've been with CBS4. You are not only a, a reporter covering politics down here, which is a cottage industry in and of itself but you also host the good the south florida what's it called on sunday morning what's it called yes facing south facing south florida i knew it was one of those you know sunday shows it's the local sun but you do such a great job and you you know when i think of miami politics the news covering miami politics even before i ever met you you're the guy you're you're the guy so but but i remember somebody asking you once and i don't remember your answer i'm hoping you do um to to describe what politics is like in south florida oh well it's you know politics is uh i I don't remember what my answer would have been to that it's uh it's a full contact sport down here uh it's it's messy it's uh but i also you know, I also think that covering politics is is vital down here uh, because of the issues that that we have and uh, and the lack of accountability. Uh, you know, as the 
as the Herald has, has shrunk, as, as uh, other news organizations have shrunk in terms of their coverage, including local TV, you know, those of us, you, you very nicely and politely describe me as a, as a legend. That just means I've been doing it for a long time. Yeah. And there aren't a lot of us who've been doing it for a long time down here. But, you know, covering the local scene is is vastly important. I mean, I can do I can do some of the coverage of the national, but, you know, covering the local is what's important. And I think actually we see some good signs. Like I said, the Miami Herald, even though they're they're continuing to be challenged, uh, I think their work that they're doing in terms of covering the city of Miami right now and and Mayor Suarez and all of the all the craziness of that city commission, I think is vitally important. And those are the stories that matter. So local always matters. Definitely. And and I'm glad I'm so glad you're on the job. I, I just can't handle the well, the the hate I can't the fascism that, you know, Ron DeSantis, when he started I, I was never a fan, but his first couple of months, he seemed like he was going to almost be sensible. And then I don't know what happened. It was like a major shift where it seemed he would do anything that was certifiable, like it was the craziest, most ridiculous things um, from the naming Lap Latipo as his surgeon general who who you know, said no masks and, and, you know, don't get your kids vaccinated. And now I understand he said something along the lines of that. If he's elected president, he'd make Latipo his surgeon general. I actually haven't heard heard that yet. But but no, look, I, you know, it's fascinating because having covered Ron DeSantis throughout the 2018 campaign, having interviewed him a number of times, both when he was a candidate and then uh, during that first year when he was a governor and up until the beginning of COVID, uh, you're right. I mean, he he reminded me more of a Teddy Roosevelt Republican who was trying to do a few things. I mean, he had a, he was conservative. There was no doubt about mm-hmm. that. And, you know, when it came to certain issues, you could understand. But he was also very much pro-environment and and talked a lot about the need to to uh, to save the Everglades, to push for environmental reforms. It's like. He had found a lane with there. He was opposed to corporate welfare from his days in Congress, particularly in the area of of uh, Big Sugar, and was uh, was an opponent of of some of the policies that Big Sugar had pushed. And Big Sugar had dumped a lot of money in the campaigns to to challenge him. Uh, and and there was a shift. And I think you know I did a documentary on him that came out a couple months ago. And I I think COVID was part of that shift. I think. Uh, he changed his a lot of his views, you know, and went hard right as he started to line up on running for president and yeah. engaged a lot more in culture war issues. It's funny. I went back in all the interviews that I had done with him. I never really asked him questions about his views on on gays and homosexuality or, you know, his I mean, he, uh, or how far he would push on the issue of abortion. Because that wasn't those weren't the issues he was running on. He didn't run as a culture warrior in 2018. It was only when he started to try to find that lane to challenge Trump, you know, coming out of 2020. And he started setting himself up for that, that that you saw the change in tone and policy. Uh, And now he's for a lot of people who supported him. In 18, he's not very recognizable to the candidate he's become today. Not at all. And I try to explain to people who say, well, how did he win by such a landslide? Well, uh, you know this, as I do, I think the number, he didn't get many more votes in 2022 than he did in 2018. It's just the Democrats stayed home. You know, that's it. And, and you know, here's, here's uh, you know, because I've looked at the numbers, and here's the thing that I always find fascinating, and this sort of makes the point that you're making, which is that between 2018 and 2022, uh, the state of Florida added 1,065,000 new voters. So 1,065,000 additional voters in the four years from 18 election to the 22 election. You would assume, therefore, that in 2022, that that more people would naturally vote. The number of possible voters go up, so you would expect the total number of votes. Yet the total number of votes cast in 2022 went down by... 465,000. So even though you had 1 million or more than a million new voters in the in the rolls, 465,000 fewer people voted 
And that's to the point when you look at inside the numbers, it's really Democrats that stayed home. He did get more votes in 2022 than he did in 2018. But really, the numbers are deceptive. He won by 19 points. It was a huge victory for him, no doubt. It solidified Florida as a red state. We're not Alabama. You know, Florida is not deep red. It's not maroon red, but it's a red state. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in part, you know, because of the work that the Republican Party has done in terms of registering voters and the failure of the Democratic Party to keep up and maintain voter registration rules. Yeah. And the Florida Democrats totally, I think, dropped the ball. They lost it. Then they put Manny Diaz in as the chair of the Democratic Party. It's what what the hell are they thinking? And then they alienated a a few of the people like me that they had left. And um, I think Nikki Freed, though, could energize the party again. But they're so far behind now that it's going to be a real catch up game. And I don't know that they can ever catch up now. Yeah, I think I think 24 will be an interesting test. Uh, I think there are races, uh, you know, that'll test the Democrats' ability to compete in Florida. Uh, one is a nonpartisan race, is the Miami-Dade mayor's race. You know, Danielle Levine Cava, even though it's a it's a nonpartisan race, she's clearly a Democrat. She campaigns with Democrats. She's close to Biden in the White House, so she is identifiable as a Democrat, even though there's not a D next to her name. And you get the sense that Republicans really would like to take her out as a way of showing that, one, they in 2022, they turned Miami-Dade red, which was something historic for them. Yeah. It hadn't been done in more than 20 years. Uh, and they'd like to build on that. Now, I don't think that that's going to happen. I think that Dade in a presidential election year will be blue again. But, you know, and so you'll see a pickup probably in some state house seats that Republicans want. Uh, that they probably shouldn't have won in 20, uh, 2022. Um, same thing with maybe a Senate race. But, but you know, the statewide tickets are going to be really challenging, uh, you know, in terms of the uh, the Senate race in 24, with Rick Scott being challenged by Debbie Mukasau-Pau, uh, and then looking ahead towards, they just want to make some gains. I get the impression right. from talking to Democrats, building into the 26th race for governor and all the other state statewide uh, seats. Now, now, Jim DeFita, you are a journalist, and, and so I'm not going to ask you to you know weigh in on an individual candidate, but it, Debbie Marcusell Powell lost after one term in a what is a really a blue district now. It was Ileana Ross Lightning's seat, wasn't it? Um, that that she was in, I think. And yeah, it's not it's not a blue. I wouldn't I wouldn't describe the district that she lost as blue. She lost to Carlos Jimenez in um, in twenty. Um, Again, it was it was a close it was it was a close election and the district lines were drawn to favor Republican, uh, but not, yeah. but it was competitive. It was one of those close races where independence would make the difference. That but, was also the same election that Shalala lost. That Donna was supposedly lost, a blue yeah. seat. Oh, that right. That was that was the Ileana oh, seat. Oh, that was the Ileana um, seat. Gotcha. Yeah. OK. You know, that that was the, the Mukasel Powell seat that she lost to Jimenez was, the you know, that, that one of the diaz Bellarts. Or, well, that was well, that was also no, that was the race that, you know, Joe Garcia oh. had it as a Democrat for a time. And then Carlos Curbelo uh-huh. and then and then Debbie Mukasel Powell. And before that, you have to go all the way back to um, uh, oh, I just blanked on his name. The uh, the guy, you know, David um, Rivera, David Rivera, oh, God. So that, that's <laughs> David Rivera, Je- you know, um, uh, you know, Joe Garcia. You know, yeah. so it's gone right. back and forth, Republican, Democrat, Republican, Democrat. And, and typical so, Miami weirdness, the whole David Rivera thing with the roommate and the there was there was stuff there. But that's Miami politics. That's yeah. that's the stuff that Miami politics is made of that that you cover so well. That just makes my my head spin. Um, you know, I, I'm not I'm not looking that like I, I know I'm going to Arizona where things are kind of crazy there. You saw what happened around the Maricopa County uh, Supervisor of Elections Office and things like that. I, I have no illusions that it's going to be much saner. All I know is that they opted against Carrie Lake and put in Katie Hobbs. We're here in Florida. We have Ron DeSantis. And, and my husband's son lives out there. And, and it's closer to California for me. So, um, And, you know, it's a dry heat, as you said. So my hair hopefully won't be so frizzy out there. It'll go back to its beautiful silken uh, dry weather <laughs> state. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, you were remembering, I mean, I remember fondly those days at uh, WINZ, you know, doing, doing that show. And I remember we always used to get in trouble 
which wasn't unusual, you know, because I enjoyed talking to you. And we had a program director at the time that did not, you know, don't talk to the, don't talk to your producer. And I went, why? She's got a lovely voice. And (laughs) it's, uh, I enjoy, you know, going back and forth with folks rather than just monologue, which was always, which was always the challenging thing for me with radio was the idea of just monologuing, just sort of talking. That is an amazing skill. You possess it. Others do. It was never one of my strengths. I can I can talk, you know, you can toss me a question and I'll talk for 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. But but, you know, the idea of just sort of realizing that there's no safety net of somebody that I can just sort of turn to and say, and what do you think? Or right. Just bounce off. It. it it just always seemed a little thing. I remember going back to those days, Jeff DeForest used to do a, a sports talk show from like three to six a.m. Huh the most absurd thing in the world on uh, you know and i would drive in listening to him and no there's nobody calling there's nobody to talk to and he just talks and talks and talks and i've always respected the ability of anyone on radio to just sort of carry a monologue by themselves well and, and you so you, you did that too we we did we had fun i i really enjoyed it we have a uh, david zapin is in the chat room and he was a listener back then by the way he's now running for mayor i think of north miami beach so um, just so you know, um, uh, but but you know we had fun. Steve, Har- we were in a building, a big Clear Channel compound, and I remember Steve Harvey was you know is carried on one of the stations there, and like once a month he would be in the building uh, to do the show locally, and they put out these giant spreads of food. And I remember one day Allison, who was very young, that Allison's twenty four now, by the way, Jim. Oh my. <laughs> you yeah. feel old? How is that possible? That how, is not. How are we saying the same age and, and your child is getting older? Right. She was eight or nine then, seven, eight, nine or so when we worked together. She's now twenty four. But I remember one day she came in and she's like, "Mom, look, I got a blueberry muffin." And then somebody yelled at her for, for taking a muffin from the the Steve Harvey mega spread of food they put out. It was just no, a we weird. Were always, we were always like the lowest tier, you know, because we had. I mean, what, what, what they had all those like um, uh, what was the other big disc jockey? Oh, Paul Castronovo. Uh, Paul Castronovo. Paul Castronovo. And then the Y one hundred people. Um, the Y one hundred out of New York, where right. most of it was out of New York. Right. Was Elvis Duran. Elvis Duran. Elvis Duran. That's right. You and know? he'd come and in think- every once in a while and do a show from here. We had Froggy in the studio here, right? I, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know. Obviously, he got into a little bit of trouble himself and so i maybe i'm uh, crossing a line here or that you're gonna have to repudiate no. but uh my sister my favorite moment was my sister calling because i would have all of these political guests come on you know all these different politicians at the state level the local level the national level and my sister in new york would sort of say she was listening to elvis duran and she and they were yelling at froggy you know you know to get so and so on the air my sister was sort of like, why don't you ever have good guests like they're trying to get on? He, You know, like, uh, you know, Johnny Depp. Why don't you get Johnny Depp? You know, the Elvis Duran is trying to get Johnny Depp. He's, he's somewhere in Miami. I said, you missed him. He was on our show because you know Johnny Depp. And so yes, you actually I had Johnny him on. Depp. We had him on. And he on. and he spoke so quietly. And we had to pull the microphone right into his face and pot him all the way up. And you still couldn't hear him. It's like, speak up. But, yes, we did get Johnny Depp on. We Johnny did. Depp back before the whole Amber Heard thing. Yes, yes a long time ago. Right. Long time ago. Well, because Johnny Depp is from here. He grew up in Miramar. He was in a band called The Kids. Who knew? That's, right. That's right? how you knew him. You knew him. You I knew him name. actually from L.A., not from here, but because of the music industry connections. That's how I got him. Yeah, Th- those were fun days. And I've, I've you know, I-, I-, I couldn't leave without thanking you. And I know it's, it's <laughs> mixed feelings. But but working with you was was just was one of the high points of my career. And I don't know that I've said it enough. And I certainly probably haven't said it publicly. But um, I-, I cherish the time we work together. And I'm really happy you're my friend. Nicole, you'll always be my friend, and and I I love you, and only want what's best for you. And I'm 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 sad you're leaving, but at the same time, I'm excited for you because I know it's a good fit for you, and and you'll you'll kill it out there. And and folks, uh, you 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 provide a real you know real service, and you're great Thank at you. it, and and I appreciate. It. I gotta tell real quick what another thing that I'm working on. I'm gonna still do this show at least for a while. Uh, there may be a weekly show coming on a station in L.A. sometime soon that nobody knows about. But I'm working on something with some women radio veterans 
uh, that I've known for years. We are putting together a new community, an online radio station, womenwhorock.com. It's going to be female artists um, presented and programmed by women, air personalities, programmers. Um, We're going to then branch out and put up a podcast network and then a whole like mentoring site so that because there is no training ground for radio people anymore. So if you want to get into radio, we'll work with you on it. Um, And songwriters too, same thing, but womenwhorock.com. And we have a test stream going now. No jocks yet or anything, but I'm getting the music mixed together. So you'd enjoy it. I, I, I can't wait. I you think. know, anything's better than than listening to computer program music. Tell you know? me about let's, it. Let's Tell me about the, it. Let's get, the, let's get the DJs back out there. You know? So we're going to sure. do it. And the women who are all pros will all be able to program their own shows. Uh, the only constraint is, or the, the parameters is, it's women. Women who rock. Will, will, will it take place around some sort of a communal fire? <laughs> will there be... Well, you know, I just I'm picturing like uh, like like some sort of like uh, maybe like uh, uh, some sort of like a yurts or something. Yeah, no, some sort of no, because it's going to be virtual like we do everything ah. these days. So I'll be there. We've got some people in L.A. We've got someone in Philly. We've got people all over the place. So but, right. you know, first baby steps anyway. <laughs> anyway. Well, uh, women who rock. Yes, women. Uh, I, I'm, I probably can't be on that show. But if you ever looking for uh, a, a man who appreciates women who rock. Well, you know, when you have a slot, feel free to give me a call. Absolutely. I certainly will. I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you know where I wind up. I'll be in touch. Jim DeFiti, thank you so much. I know you're, you're busy. You're still your working day. Um, thank you for taking the time to hang with me and, and let me say goodbye and thank you publicly. No, no. Thank you, Nicole. It's always, like I said, it was great working with you and I appreciate and love you. And you take care and say hi to Allison for me. I definitely will. And I, gotta, I, I, I hate to ask and not know the answer. How's your mom? My mom passed away oh, a few months ago. Oh, a yeah. few months ago. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Your mom was she a trip. She was in, wonderful. She passed away in May at oh, 87. Oh, wow. I'm so sorry. But, wow, how lucky you are that you had her this long as someone Absolutely. who lost my mom very young. And your mom was wonderful. She was just she was just a very cool lady. So She was great. I'm yeah. sorry. No, thank you for asking. And thank you for remembering her. Oh, so, always. Always. Right. Okay, Jim. Take care. I will talk Bye. to you. I'll, bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, Jim Defeaty, everyone. You can find him. He's on, I believe he's still on the shitter at uh, Defeaty, D-E-F-E-D-E. And um, uh, at CBS4.com, you can, it's in Miami, but you can watch him anywhere and you should watch his uh, Facing South Florida because it is uh, quite good, his show. He is, he is like the Florida politico talker, politician talker. See, talking to Jim put me in a better mood. Yeah, he's... uh, you know, mixed emotions. Uh, again, there are not too many people that I um, am going to miss down here. But, um, yeah, Defeaty, he's one of the good guys. Uh, South Florida, you're lucky to have him. Don't screw this up. Okay. So we, we've got a few minutes left. I've got all these other stories that we could talk about. Um, and I guess the one we should talk about is one I started I brought up at the very end when Lisa Graves was already late for another appointment on Friday. But you heard about Elmo, right? I mentioned the shitter. Um, Elon Musk. Here's the story. Because for those of you who didn't hear what happened, this story um, uh, tells what this, I say, traitor to um, America did. I mean, I, th- I think this borders on treason. I really do. Um, All right. So listen, here's the CNN report. A new biography about Elon Musk is revealing stunning details about the billionaire's connection to the war in Ukraine. According to an excerpt released just this morning, Musk secretly ordered his engineers to turn off his company's Starlink satellite communications network near the Crimean coast last year to disrupt a Ukrainian sneak attack on the Russian naval fleet. As Ukrainian submarine drones strapped with explosives approached the Russian fleet, they, quote, lost connectivity and washed ashore harmlessly. Walter Isaacson, who penned the book, also says Musk's decision was driven by fear that Russia would respond to a Ukrainian attack with nuclear weapons, a fear Musk carried after his conversations with senior Russian officials. And that's just the beginning. Okay, that's just the beginning. So yesterday on whatever the CNN show is with Jake Tapper on the weekends had 
the the Secretary of State Blinken the SpaceX on. Listen CEO to this. Elon Musk uh, has recently confirmed a report that's in Walter Isaacson's new biography of Musk that last year Musk blocked access to his Starlink satellite network in Crimea in order to disrupt a major Ukrainian attack on the Russian Navy there. In other words, Musk effectively sabotaged uh, a military operation by Ukraine, a U.S. ally, against Russia, an aggressor country that invaded a U.S. ally. Should there be repercussions for that? <laughs> yes! Yes! Jake, I can't speak to a specific oh, episode. Here's on. what I can tell you. Starlink has been a vital tool for the Ukrainians to be able to communicate with each other, and particularly uh, for the military uh, to communicate in their effort to defend all of Ukraine's territory. It remains so, and I would expect it to, to continue uh, to be critical to their efforts. So what we would uh, hope and expect is that that technology will remain fully available to the Ukrainians. It is vital to what they're doing. He's so diplomatic. I don't know that you can't speak to it. You, you won't, won't speak to it. Right. Musk says he was reportedly afraid that Russia would retaliate with nuclear weapons. Musk says that's based on his private discussions he had with senior Russian officials. Are you concerned that Musk is apparently conducting his own diplomatic outreach to the I Russian am. government? Really, n none of this concerns you? Concerns me. Jake, I can't speak to uh, uh, conversations uh -huh. that may or may not have happened. I don't know. I don't um, know. I'm focused on the fact that the technology itself, Starlink, has been really important to the Ukrainians. It yeah, it has. So. And uh, it, it should to continue to be. And this time he sabotaged the Ukrainians. To with themselves and again to have the military uh, be able to, to communicate. Um, throughout um, this uh, Russian aggression, uh, you know, we, have, we ourselves have always had to factor in uh, what uh, Russia may do in response to any given thing that we or others do or the wow. Ukrainians do. Um, and, and we have. Word uh, salad. But What's so critical now is that uh, Ukraine has had real success over the past year. Oh, come was, on. Uh, just in Ukraine, as you know. Um, the last time I was there was almost exactly a year ago. In that year, uh, from the last time I was there till this week, the Ukrainians have uh, retaken more than 50% of the territory seized by Russia since February of 2022. They're now engaged in a critical counteroffensive. Uh, and blah, 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 blah. Let's them, not answer the many question. Other so that they can be successful. Starlink yeah. is an important part of, uh, of their success, and as I said, we expect that it will continue to be so. Okay. It sounds so, like Starlink's so important that the U.S. government doesn't want to risk offending a capricious billionaire uh, who did some things that I think in another situation the U.S. government you might think? want to say something about, but let's move on. Yeah, but let's move on, because uh, he's not going to answer the question, and they're not going to do anything. So a private citizen, this, this bloviating asshole... Elmo, uh, yes, Elon Musk, uh, thinks it's okay that he can talk to some Russian officials and, and hear that, oh, well, if, if, if you facilitate this, then Putin will retaliate with nukes. And so Elon Musk thinks it's within his purview to say, oh, I'm just going to turn off the satellite so they can't uh, do this defensive measure. Un fucking believable unfucking believable that's all i can say to that one um okay so uh we are in the home stretch this is my last week in the studio somebody at the beginning asked when do you head out nicole i am here all week probably shouldn't be but i am tomorrow we have laffy wednesday we have marcy wheeler thursday we have howie klein along with maybe a girl who's running for um uh, uh adam um, uh shifts seat in in uh, where Howie lives his district in LA um and Friday I don't know we'll figure it out but I'm putting together I have a whole grid of shows to run while I'm gone so here's the thing while I'm gone there will not be video on YouTube every day but you guys I want to ask you YouTubers this is for you would you like me to stream to YouTube the audio interviews with uh, just a graphic I can put it up to run as a premiere every day on Monday, a week from today, it will be on video. It'll be my interview with Heather Cox Richardson to kick off 
my moving shows. So to entice you to come here, because I promise you it's a good one. She's she's awesome. You're going to love her. Um, but you guys, you YouTubers, let me know if you want me to make a, a video to run each day during the showtime with the best of show that's going to run on Progressive Voices so you guys can chat. You tell me. I'll, I'll, I'll be guided by you. All right. All right. Back to work. I'm editing. I'm putting together three weeks worth of shows. It's not fun, but someone's got to do it. And I guess it's me. So, all right. Uh, I'll see you tomorrow. Laffy will be here. We'll have fun. And I promise you another edition of the Mal Ladies. Because we're old. and We have maladies. So the ladies get together and it's the Mal Ladies Hour. Get it? All right. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye.